What's happening, weirdos? This is the incredible return of the incredible David Nickturn, who is a great teacher of mine, a great friend of mine, a wonderful Buddhist, and a very wise and funny person. And I'm so glad you guys are here to check him out. If you want more David Nickturn after you listen to this, and chances are you might, you very well might, go to dharmamoon.com. That's his organization, D-H-A-R-M-A. M-O-O-N.com, dharmamoon.com, and you will see a link there for their 100-hour mindfulness meditation teacher training with David Nick Turn. Val has done it. It's incredible. He's incredible. You're about to hear. Hopefully, you heard the first chat. If you didn't, David and I met at the Ramdas retreat in Maui, and uh, we had breakfast together, and we ended up talking so long, we ended up having lunch together at the same table because he's just a wealth of information and just a calming wonderful presence in my life, and I'm happy to share that with you guys today. Not much to plug up top other than dharmamoon.com. I do want to say I'll be on the road uh, when this comes out. I'm on actually today heading to St. Louis, so go to PeteHolmes.com if you want to see me in St. Louis. See you in St. Louis. And then the weekend after that, I'll be in Salt Lake City. There's more dates being added. Uh, If you just saw me, I'm doing a new hour. I'm taking a new hour out, and I'm so thrilled with it, and it is so fun. So I'll be adding even more dates for the tour. We're calling it the Feeling It Tour. This is the tail end of the Where Were We Tour for St. Louis and Salt Lake City. But all those dates will be at PeteHolmes.com. Check it out. Hope to see you on the road. Always means a lot. Go to Largo-LA.com for my monthly show in Los Angeles. The last one was so fun. Kumail was on it. It was so cool. Uh, Check that out. It's once a month. Largo-LA.com. There's definitely one in October. I'm just blanking. It's on a weekend, I'm sure. A weekend in October. Largo-LA.com. And we're brought to you by our friends today at Onnit. Alpha Brain, I was just packing my bag to go on the road. Alpha Brain is such a huge, huge part of my life. Actually, I did a show at Dynasty Typewriter last night, and someone had me autograph their Alpha Brain bottle, which I thought was hilarious and wonderful, and they knew I would appreciate that. I just packed up. I was putting my Alpha Brain black label in the bag. It's a tight bag. I travel with one backpack. Not a lot of room in there, but I never, never, never don't travel pretty much anywhere without Alpha Brain. It's in my car, it's in my travel bag, it's in the pockets of my jackets. What is it? It's a nootropic. What's that? It's earth-grown ingredients that help you concentrate, help you focus, help you dial in. It helps your brain work. It's not a stimulant. It's not like caffeine. It doesn't get you jittery. It doesn't get you wired. It gets you in that flow. If you need to concentrate, if you need to answer emails, if you need to write a script, if you need to do stand-up, if you need to do a podcast, or if you just need your brain functioning clearly and well, Alpha Brain 15, 20 minutes before you do that task makes a huge noticeable difference. It is a game changer in my life. I wish I knew about it in college. I'm so glad I know about it now. Give it a try. Support your brain and you'll be supporting this show. Go to onnit, O-N-N-I-T dot com slash weird. You'll get 10% off everything you see on that landing page. And those uh, sales help support the show. Helps keep the lights on here. We appreciate that. And it'll keep your lights on. Keep your brain running smooth. I take it constantly before every show, before I sit down at my desk. Onnit, alpha brain, onnit.com slash weird. All right, everybody. Hope to see you in St. Louis. Hope to see you in Salt Lake City. Enjoy uh, David Nickturn 
Go to dharmamoon.com. Get meditation mindfulness training from the man. He's incredible. Get into it. <laughs> can you hear me? Ken, can you hear me? Yeah. Wow. Seamless. Yeah. Seemingly seamless. Seemingly seamless. Same yeah. root. What is that? Yeah. Seeming seamless. No, it's not. It's S E A M. Shit. The second one well, is seem. Yeah. There's two different things, but they both have to do with apparent reality. Seems make it look like two things are attached that aren't. So seems make it seem is what as you're if, saying. As if it's seamless. <laughs> and we're off, baby. <laughs> oh. Mickey, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to see you. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. I'm just, yeah. I, this is the welcome. I'm just saying I'm so thrilled yeah. to have a little time with you. It's one of the great uh, joys of my life that this podcast provides these um, excuses to yeah. hang out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and it, it didn't even exist like 10 years ago, right? I know, and I, I think people would say that, oh, that's when we were in coffee shops and talking, and I'm like, I don't think so. I think we're talking more now than ever. I think all of these things that are internet, whatever, supposedly driving us apart are actually doing the opposite. I think I'm talking way more to people than I ever have. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's... um. It's a a certain aspect that communication is heightened by it, don't you think? Haven't you found that? That's the whole thing. We're cooking over a over a spit right now. The flame of urgency. Well, you know, Val and I do the Friday episodes, and I'm like, it's one of the keys to a healthy relationship is 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 having nice long conversations once a week. But I would add to that if you record them and you release them, there's an urgency. So why do you mm. go to a date? Why do you wear a suit? Why do you go to a white tablecloth restaurant? It's to add a little performance to it, meaning it's not just for show people. Valentine's yeah. Day is an open mic for regular folks. You go out and you do a song and dance. Look at what we're wearing. Look at how we're behaving. How much are we laughing? How much are we touching? All that sort of stuff doesn't make it false or wrong, but human beings tend to do better when other human beings are observing them. You know what I'm saying? Well, and there's also getting rousing something. Yes. Which, which is um, probably the essence of decorum and things like that, where you create not a superficial outer shell, but a, a kind of level of expression that's related to how others are connecting with you. Yes. It's not this kind of hyper casual and, uh, you know, a clueless kind of vibe it's like that's right the stage is set the table is set and that's our whole look when i was a kid i went through a real holden caulfield period where i was like oh grown-ups are so phony and they talk you know what i mean i i do hate when people talk like they're on a conference call even though they're not on a conference call you know what i mean they're like well that's great jim like we're in line at a coffee and they're like well yeah let's circle back to that and you know <laughs> let me jump off here i'm gonna talk i'm like why are you talking? Because you've been so corporatized <laughs> that you can't even talk yeah. to me as a person. Yeah. I hate that. So it can be perverted and taken to an extreme. Right. But there's something fun. It's a wedding. It's a. It's mm. going to a court to contest a ticket. There's a drama to it. There's a judge. Mm. There's pillars. There's marble. Even... Mm. You know, firefighters and 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 uh, EMTs. We we created all of this meaning. 
so we're not just kind of like running around in the woods and and there's a way to enjoy it. It's fun to be talking to you now as I talk. I don't, five minutes ago, I wasn't talking at this register. I'm turning it on, baby. <laughs> and it's fun you know, to turn it on. And this is exactly where I thought we'd get to today, which is um, the vertical and the horizontal. Beautiful. Axis. You and, you Buddhist master, just do it. <laughs> and apparent reality and the sort of more unconditional quality of how things actually are. So it's how they are and how they appear, which is in every spiritual tradition. You'll find this um, expressed some way or another mm. um, and the tension between those two things. Yes. Which means uh, you go to church on Sunday, but on Monday you're actually uh, donating, you know, you're helping people out of the food kitchen. You're, um, you know, helping an old woman across the street. Yeah. And, uh, you know, how um, it's interesting. And, you know, me, I always connected just because that's my tradition to the uh, Buddhist and particularly Tibetan Buddhist perspective is it's called Dundam and Kunsap. And Dundam is absolute reality, unconditional, just the way it is. You know, you don't have to do anything. It's just kind of intact. And Kunsap is relative reality. And it literally means all dressed up. It's just what you were just talking about. No way. Kusap is all dressed up. All dressed up. up. Whoa. You you recognize that, yes, you do put on the suit. You do put on a tuxedo to go to the Academy Awards or whatever it is. And you do uh, put on a tie to meet your girlfriend's parents, uh, even though you, you know, that's not your style. And you do, um, you know, um, set the table nicely for people to come, even though they're, the they're just your friends. Get... They're the same idiots and jerks you were having coffee with two days ago, but now we're putting out the cutlery. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah, so that's Kunzap. 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 Yeah. Yeah. All dressed up. And, um, but recognizing that it's empty. So the difference in the kind of in the materialistic world, you don't recognize the emptiness of it, mm. right? It just seems like this is it. This is what's important. This is the final answer. And in the sort of spiritual domain, you don't really give any credence to the kind of uh, relative unfolding of reality and, mm. and and the small relational things that happen during a day. Right. But in a in another way, you could integrate those two so that you can get fully involved and engaged in the play. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you're in, but you you never have mistaken it for any kind of absolute reality, because that would cause you. I mean, that would pain. make you pain. It would make you paranoid. It would make you depressed, jealous. Yeah. If this is all there is, yes, jealous, bubbling with competition and jealousy. This is so great because I wanted to talk about what you wanted to talk about, and I texted you, and you said this is what you wanted to talk about, and this is what I wanted to talk about. Because <laughs> if you remember. Like a week, of course you do. A week or two ago, I called you, as I do, uh, when I'm having a little crisis. I'm not having a crisis today. I feel fantastic today. So I'm trying to honor Crisis Pete and remember him. But Crisis <laughs> Pete, because it was serious. Right now I'm like mm-hmm. whistling. Yeah. I'm just like, what was that all about? Mm-hmm. But there are people listening that are that may be feeling this, which is mm. I was starting to panic. I was getting a little too close to what I would consider ultimate reality, meaning... Mm-hmm. You even hear this in the Christian tradition. I was getting it from A Course in Miracles, but I'm also reading James Finley's book, and he talks about how God alone is real. Like everything mm-hmm. else is sort of like a play or a dance. 
it doesn't have to be nefarious, but it's not right. real. It's it's, right. and you could even look at it scientifically. You could go, it's all molecules, it's all atoms. Sure. It's That's you know, right. you, you can do it from wherever you want to stand, and you go like, but it seems like it's a shirt, you know. <laughs> and I was starting to panic because I was right. like, what about? I I was getting too much of. Well, the way it was manifesting, and we can get to this in a moment, but I'll load it into you, is I was like, if God alone is real and God is perfect oneness, God doesn't even know about this world, which in in, in the way that we think of knowing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like subject to object, God is over here in heaven and he's watching me and David have a conversation. That's not perfect oneness. That's two-ness. That's God mm-hmm. over here watching David and Pete. So that it's, it's actually voyeurism is what it really is. It's disgusting voyeur. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've made this observation before that that's kind of freaky. I mean, yeah. I just took a shower. <laughs> but it's hard. It's hard to okay. reckon with the fact that nobody's watching. Right. Is that how you feel? Do you feel no one's watching? Nobody. Nobody's watching. That's great. That's what I was going to ask you. So, yeah. but that that can freak you out. So let's unpack that. I want you to unpack no. it. When you get into Vedanta, when you get into non-dualism in any, it doesn't have to be Vedantic. It can be Christian non-dualism. It can be just private. Dude, the more I look at science, uh, I was just watching a Charlie Kaufman movie, you know, and he's kind of a famous nihilist and he was breaking down how everything ultimately is one. So like, you know, physics, religion, we get to this thing that it's all one thing. And if it's all one thing, there's no no, there's no subject object and there's nobody that knows about David. Please unpack that. And why aren't we freaking out if that's the case? Well, first of all, it's so sweet, isn't it? The whole thing. <laughs> what a great place to start. Yes, it is. Yeah. It, there is a sweetness underlying the whole thing that uh, I think when we all slow down enough to appreciate what's really going on, that there's an underlying tenderheartedness to the whole, even the, even these kind of, you know, heart wrenching conversations, you know, I agree. I also thought you meant sweet, almost like a child, you know, Mm. kind of wanting to understand why the sky is blue and, and grownups can get panicky about why the sky is blue, but there's a, there's a tenderness to just kind of an innocent what's going on here. Is that what you mean by sweet? Unpack sweet for me. Yeah. uh, Tender. Um, mm. you tend to, uh, soft-hearted, you know, not, not, um, defended, not, not, um, uh, not frightened either, mm. Mm. you know, and, um, you know, so <clears throat> you know, like when we saw Mitch McConnell freeze the other day, did you see that? No. You didn't see that? No, I. I'm so over maybe, here and uh, I'm playing with G.I. Joe's yeah. and shit. I, I don't know. Well, you you know about the, you know, uh, <laughs> oh, Mrs. Goldberg, did you see what happened over there in Afghanistan? She said, ah, I don't see nothing. I live in the Bic. <laughs> no, that's yeah, you great. Live in, you live in the Bic. I so, live in the um, Bic, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, Mitch McConnell, who maybe somebody could have vilified if they wanted to or needed to, uh, as as somebody who represents a kind of series of of um, you know uh, positions and power that are count- contrary to what we might look, think of as our healthy way to go, mm. is standing at the lectern, you know, b- with the and with the Republican guys, you know, the whole thing, and he he zoned out for a good thirty seconds. Oh wow! He literally went like this. 
Oh, wow. He froze. He had a mind freeze and on, on, on CNN. Wow. On CNN cameras, or in? Well, just CNN. the cameras were rolling. So yeah, they, yeah. It's, he, there's no way that somebody could, you know. And at that moment, I, he looked like, and then he came to, and they, they were saying, are you okay, Mitch? And you want to go back to your office? He had no idea what had happened. It was, it was probably, you know, like similar to Petit Mal, you know, a, a, a small seizure or a, a zoning out, but he was wow. quite gone. And you looked at the face and you could see him as a little boy. You could see. Yeah. Uh, and now, obviously, you want to keep your aggression drummed up and you want to stay angry. Uh, but it, the, what I mean by the sweetness is you see something like that, even to somebody that you may not be in concord with yes. at the moment, and you feel sympathy. I think of Trump sleeping all the time. You know what ah. I mean? The the vulnerability of a sleeping Donald, like just, and I'm not trying to humiliate him. I'm saying he's drooling a little bit. He's in some sort of weird <laughs> twisted position. He needs the covers. You know what I mean? Like there's something helpful to me about thinking about somebody that I may not agree with on this, that, or the other, pulling up the sheets in their sleep, like their body mm. was cold and mm. I can't, I can't really handle it. I can't mm. handle the, the tenderness and the vulnerability, the dandelion-like quality of all of us. And a lot of these dandelions put on suits and they, we comb our hair in a certain way yeah. and we yell real loud. And I'm like, I do the same thing with bodybuilders. Dave Batista, put him in the ocean. Put him in the ocean. Like these yeah. big fucking guys. Put him in something bigger than him and instantly where's where's your power? It's gone. And, and that, I don't do it to humiliate them. Mm-hmm. I do it to go... So stop! It's real. It's real. It's relational. Mm. My mm. thinking, Dave, is big, is because I'm not a mountain, and my thinking, mm. Trump, is whatever a blowhard. Let's say, is mm-hmm. because I'm forgetting that he's a he's a baby. He's a he's a mm. dandelion, like like mm. you and like me and like all of us. So the sleep thing helps. The the like or or eating eating a bowl of soup alone in a mall. <laughs> well, you, you you know this is a very profound <laughs> issue for us now because. Uh, you know, like to, um, Friday night, I have to teach a workshop in Japan on the path of the warrior. Mm. So this notion of warriorship is a very powerful idea. But the two elements to the more nuanced version of warriorship is gentleness and fearlessness. It's not just fearlessness. It's gentleness and fearlessness. So it has a sort of a mother-father wow. energy to it. So the question is, is how can you... Um, you know, act in the world in a way that is, um, and we, we're going to, it's funny, I'm teaching in Japan, but we're going to talk about Bushido, you know, mm. because they already have the code over there. Mm. They have the source code. It's, if you just look at Bushido and, and, and what it's advocating in a samurai, it's the, the sense of, um, uh, compassion is one of the things, virtue, developing virtue, um, you know, um, integrity, all the mm. things that, if you could get people to um, tell you what was important to them, it, the list would be fair. Unfor- would be very similar, I think, for a lot mm. of people. Don't you think? Mm. That if you idealized it, you know. Well, I love even you just reminding me of those words, taking us back to the horizontal and, and the vertical. Right? Is I do catch myself, and as you were saying that, I was like, right, I'm a father. I want to model these things for Leela, right? I lose them all the time, Nikki. This, going back to what you were saying, no one's watching. Um, and I've had spiritual experiences, you know, some on drugs, some not on drugs, where I've really experienced like 
the oneness and the all okayness. And so there is, it's not coming from a place of terror, but sometimes I go, there's almost like a, I lose touch with what you just said, like the idea of integrity and courage and all that stuff. Cause I'm kind of like, I don't know, man, who cares? And it's, it's sort of a dangerous and soft place for me. Cause then I start to retreat from, from life. Cause I'm like, it, it, it doesn't matter. And that's not the sweet spot for me. I, I was very excited to tell you that I did a show last night and it, I hadn't done a show in a while. It was all new material. And it was like getting a, a blood transfusion. Uh, today I'm, I'm myself. I'm not afraid. I'm connected. I feel part of something, you know, the audience and me merged. And it was, it was absolutely life-giving anxiety and fear reducing. And today the world is beautiful and I couldn't just conceptualize my way there. You know, I couldn't just go like, I'm one with God. So everything's okay. I had to do stand up comedy. What does that make you think of? (laughs) Um, it makes me think of a baby and a nipple is what it made me think of. <laughs> if I could just speak spontaneously. Yeah, sure. Getting what I need. Yeah. And the, you know, and doing um, what's natural too. It's natural. And having the exchange with, with, um, so the, here's the thing, the vertical, if misunderstood can become nihilism. Yes. You feel eternal, non-dual. There's, you know, it's there's no point in engaging the horizontal. There's no point in going doing stand-up comedy. There's no point in uh, having children, and y- y- the the eternal, the you know, kind of sensibility p- pulls you back from engagement at yes. the, re- at the at a relational level. Can I just and, interject and say the vertical, yeah. we've been talking about it. We mean like kind of divine God, higher truth, ultimate truth, horizontal being your life, your, your day to day, just in case and, people didn't know. Yes. And vertical also means timeless Yeah, because in embedded in, in, in us is the experience of timelessness, whether we have acknowledged it or not, everybody it's, it's like a little tickle in the back of everybody's mind. Mm. Oh, this is timeless. This is, this is, and ironically, and this is, you know, Congratulations, whoever uh, formulated this. The timeless is related to extreme nowness. That's the only access that we have to it. Yes. Any other version of it is a fiction. Right. Right. Mitch? Mitch McConnell? <laughs> <laughs> well, those are the two. See, that was what was also interesting about it. You see these great yogis, you know, these Tibetan yogis, and they're in a similar as Mitch. Uh, well, it's it's like, but it's it's suffused with awareness. It's different, but nothing is happening. Yeah, it's no, clear that nothing is going on. There's no need to speak, there's no need to do anything, but the, the quality of it is awareness, whereas the quality w- with um with uh, absorption states, you know, whether physical or drugs or whatever, is that there's opaqueness and the lack of awareness Mm, mm. so that's a very important distinction because as people practice spiritual traditions and they access certain states of mind the question is do they become absorbed into them and kind of addicted to it almost you could say Mm -hmm. or or can they let it come and go uh and recognize this sort of fundamental quality of timelessness in it that it doesn't need to be sustained in any way right it right. doesn't need it doesn't need you to to attach to it or try to sustain it in any way. It is actually the ground of being. Right. You're 
for you're thinking you're leaving this place where God isn't to a place where God is by taking ayahuasca or something. And then you come back to the waiting room. And it seems to me that spirituality is going like, well, this is, I believe it's a Psalm. It's like, I make my bed in the depths. You are there. I go to the heavens. You are there. All of these traditions seem to have this idea of like, where could you go that isn't saturated in the ground of being, which is, you know, the mystery we call God or isness or or awareness or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And ironically, you can bias the person's accessing it in in uh, in the in the tantric Buddhist tradition. They call it ordinary mind. Isn't that cool. Yeah. Ordinary mind. So you don't look for it in the extraordinary. Uh, uh, it, there's nothing about it that like. Like we were with a group of people meditating last night out here, and I heard this woman give this rap. And it's like, oh, there's planets, and you could send your thoughts out and projected, you know. And then, you know, there was a little dog uh, behind her going like that while she was doing that. Mm -hmm. And that's the ordinary mind more than the projection out of your consciousness out into, into out into the universe. I agree. Isn't that a temptation as well? I mean, I, I have friends that, and I love these friends. I wouldn't change them for the world, but they, we want to talk about UFOs and other life forms and other planets and everything. And I'm sort of like, it's not ordinary mind is what you're saying. And, and the people that I love are like stones. They're here. They're, they're, they're finding it on the plate. They were served instead of looking over across the street at the restaurant where they like, are cooking at the table like a Benihana, like something exciting, <laughs> right? <laughs> Benihana. Yeah, Benihana. Nothing's more exciting than a Benihana. Yeah. Am I right about that? Well, no, it's, yeah. And and that's where the all dressed up, the Kunzab thing becomes uh, an obsessive costume party with disguises rather than ornamentation. Mm. You know, you're looking to disguise yourself. You're, you're not comfortable pe being seen as, yes. as you are. Rather than rather than your regalia is some kind of ornamentation and elaboration of your basic good quality, you know, right, right. it's a hiding, hiding sure. out. So, you know, a lot of people we're hiding out, you know what I mean? We're not really willing to show up um, very simply and very plainly. Because it's too painful, maybe? Embarrassing is my favorite word these days. I Well, you've just walked into a very warm space because Val and I, in uncovering the phrase, I'm sorry, I was embarrassed is the most valuable phrase I think I've learned as a, as a grown person. Like that's the wisdom of my forties is you start overreacting and you just go, I'm sorry. I was embarrassed. <laughs> like you yeah. were embarrassed. You didn't know something. You did something. You looked weird. You're back in junior high for just a second. You're in your body. It's pooping. It's farting. It's burping. It's, it's scared. It has all these psychological needs, these physical needs, these respect needs. It's so it's embarrassing. And, and it's hard to deal with. Is that what you mean? That is exactly what I mean. And it, I'm, you know, I'm not surprised you stumbled on that word, but I think if, if people lined up their biggest fears, you know, and said, if you just look day to day, embarrassment is way up there. Yeah, I agree. You know, and, and if you're running a company or like, you know, uh, think about, you know, working with people like you do and stuff, if you embarrass somebody, uh, you've put them in a really bad place. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They're, they're going to really create, uh, any kind of counterpoint to, to, to alleviate that. And, and, you know, it sounds like so dramatic, but it's like the emperor has no clothes. It's that, it's that premise, you know, in what people way? know that. Well, I, I know that story. The emperor is naked and, and nobody wants to tell him. It's actually an incredibly powerful metaphor. It comes up a lot in show business, especially 
Yeah. Emperor's naked. Nobody will say anything until a child finally points out the, the emperor has no clue. Well, because everybody else is in on the con. Right. They're on the payroll. They have, they, they have skin in the game. Yeah. You know, okay, yeah. I'm the Duke. So I can't tell the guy. I, I'll, he'll, he'll defend himself and he'll undukeify me. You know, that's what right. the kid doesn't know. So the kid goes, he's not wearing anything. And then everybody goes like, <laughs> right. You know, um, so who is that kid? That kid is kind of, you know, innocence or pure uh, perception or just, um, you know, it's not a it, it's consciousness without an elaboration of a, a need to create a self and an identity and defend the crap out of that and yeah um, you know manipulate it and con it and seduce it, it and attack it you know yeah. it's so that just, the kid oh sorry no go ahead i'm tying it back to the embarrassment the kid has to come in and say you were just embarrassed no the kid isn't embarrassed but everybody else realizes that the reason they didn't tell the truth is because they were too embarrassed yeah or they had too much skin in the game that's I probably mean, something else we should consider too, right? Along with the embarrassment. Oh, for sure. You'll never see people more full of shit than once money and power and status gets involved. Like I've I've said this before, but when you're in certain powerful circles, you'll notice everyone's laughing in the same cadence as the boss. And you're just like, that's the emperor has no clothes. That's like, once you start feeding somebody and giving health insurance to their children, you can pretty much say goodbye to honest uh, discord. <laughs> if I'm feeding you and yeah. paying your wife's medical bills, you're not going to yeah. tell me as clearly or as plainly that this sucks or that sucks. And you see that I love movies about corporations. I keep pushing the movie Blackberry. It's about the Blackberry phones. And of course, there's a guy trying to tell the other guy who's drunk on power that he's cruising towards a wall and no one wants to tell him because they're, they all have stock and they all are making millions of dollars. But there's always one child saying the emperor has no clothes. It's very right. valuable. Yeah. Mm. It's profound in a way because if you're trying to build, like, for example, both you and I are actively engaged in the world. You have your, 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 um, a, a fully launched an art career of presenting your creativity to, to, to larger and larger groups of people. I've, I'm developing this company, Dharma Moon. We have 20 employees. We we're trying mm -hmm. to, um, introduce meditation practices to people in a way that's accessible and, and but also authentic, you know, which is kind of a hard, that's a hard enough combination to put together. Um, like, you know, it's not really a great marketing to say, well, you might get bored and frustrated when you meditate because everybody yeah. has else is painting a rosy picture of it. And also, by the way, you know, this whole rigmarole you have going on, it's going to like decay and die. You're going to die, you know? So mm -hmm. those are, that's the Buddhist, um, the best the Buddhists can do for the marketing is is bored. Well, this death. is why this is why Christianity, <laughs> from a marketing standpoint, I mean fundamentalist Christianity, yeah, not what I would consider authentic yeah. Christianity, but like they have a much better sales pitch. You're going to die. You're going to go one place or the other. So you better believe now. That's literally how I would sell you an iPhone. You know what I mean? It's the same strategy that I would sell you a car. You're 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 gonna die. You should live. You should you should enjoy. You know what I mean. And you're over there going, you're gonna die. It doesn't matter. This is gonna be boring and hard. That's that's a much more difficult sell. But they don't want to tell you about the dark night of the soul that all the saints went through, including of course, including including Jesus Christ. Didn't he have a dark night of the soul? Oh yeah, uh, the whole thing. Take this cup from my mouth. Yeah. So the fact that there might be, um, you know. Um, a journey implied that is 
not going to be in alignment with your wishful thinking. That's simply I mean, put. Absolutely. That's underreported, and I think it would make Christianity so much sexier. I'm always trying to remind people, or more exciting is what I mean, meaning baptism, as I've said a million times, is a drowning ritual. It's killing, it's murdering you, and, and you come back as something else. You've died. And yeah. the and the St. John of the Cross and others that talk about their dark nights of the soul, they talk about like a peak that they have to go to. And, and let's say the peak is enlightenment or self-realization or conversion is what Christian would call it. Um, you have to go, and even Jesus doesn't go with you. It's like mm. Thomas Merton talks about when you die, you're alone. You might be in a bed. You could even pull all your loved ones up onto the bed with you. Mm. You die alone. And he goes, the paradox is the way away from that terror isn't to deny the solitude. It's to drink deeply of that solitude, embrace it, and, and explore it, and discover that mm. what you consider aloneness is yeah. actually infinite oneness. It's the uh, you're good. And I've had death experiences. Again, some of them have been on drugs, some of them are not. But you go, you go home. Like going home is such a is such a weak way of saying it. It mm. really is like you're discovering that what you thought was zero was the whole thing. <laughs> Does that make mm. sense? Yes, and the aloneness really rings out. And I, I I think that's something for people to wrap their minds around. We're not talking again, not talking about nihilism. Yes. Which is, oh, I'm alone. It doesn't matter. Even if I fell in love, we're both going to die. It's not that. And the opposite extreme is eternalism, which is that, you know, we'll all be protected. We'll all be safe. We're, you know, it, it, there's something in between in which um, uh, nobody can really um, go there with you, actually. That's right. But, why that's not dark because here i am you're saying that yeah. and it's delighting me when mm. as you as merton says when you drink deeply of what you perceive as a separate individual you perceive it as nothingness when mm. you go into that through meditation through quiet uh whatever it might be obviously merton was a was a cloistered monk he was doing a lot of silence work when you get comfortable enough and trustful enough and, and brave enough too to go. What is this thing inside me that when I'm not thinking or doing that is that I'm afraid of? Uh, mm -hmm. When I go into it, you re it's the prodigal son. You realize actually you've just come home and your father throws a party for you. Of course that 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 sounds silly, but it's just a way of kind of tasting a little bit that the nothing is trustworthy. Is that would you agree that nothing is trustworthy? Uh, yes, in a sense, I would agree. And in another sense, I would say, who's doing the trusting is what the very issue is. Mm. That, And that's why I said there's nobody watching. That's um, not a nihilistic statement. Um, like, And there are exercises that you can do you know, in any kind of training um, of looking, <clears throat> like let's take just the meditation tradition, the Buddhist tradition. First thing you do is look at this heavy fog of thoughts that you have that has become your reality. You're in a movie, basically, and it's just scene after scene after scene inside your mind, right? Mm -hmm. And you start noticing that moving because you're now not participating in that. You're just watching it. So they call that the witness or the abstract watch or something like that. You begin to notice your own mind for the first time as having this kind of um, narrative to it. This, 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 um, like, I was going to say you're knowingly uh, unconscious. <laughs> 
you're, you're, yeah, starting- you're watching you're watching the stream of of of, of not really wakeful thoughts and, and and emotions parading by as it does but without engaging it so that's a very different thing. You're, you're developing a different relationship to seeing it. Now, what is it that seeing that is another point? Right. What, who is that that's seeing that without being involved in it, without engaging it? And we, you might call it the witness consciousness or the abstract watcher. There's a, different names for it. It's a, it's a kind of still awareness with a sense of self attached to it. It's subtler. It's like a subtler Pete, a smarter Pete, a more aware Pete is watching gross Pete out in the world yep. going blah, 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 blah. Yep. Now in other practices, you start looking at subtle Pete and you go, okay, what is subtle Pete made of? Just like you looked at gross Pete is made of all these kind of habitual patterns and stories, right? Now subtle Pete is more like pure awareness, but still has some kind of perspective of existence that you think, yeah, I'm subtle Pete. I've, I'm, I'm conscious. I'm awake. I see it. But when you look directly at that, that's kind of um, Mahamudra style of meditation. You look directly at that and see if there's anything there to identify. Hmm. Look at subtle Pete. Is there? When you look at subtle David? Is it, it something? It, 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 it can. You can look. There's two ways. You do it experientially and you just kind of go, okay, let me just feel my way to subtle. You, you get the difference between gross Pete and subtle Pete, right? I do, yep. Okay, so subtle Pete could feel like I'm make, I'm progressing on my path. I'm seeing my habitual patterns. I'm much less reactive than I was. Um, I'm still caught up with this, that, and the other thing. But I have a vantage point. It's like the referee in the tennis match. You're sitting higher and you're seeing the play of the game. Now, <clears throat> when you direct whatever lens there is directly towards that experience of the of the witness, the observer, um, you either will come up with possible explanations for what that is oh that's pure awareness that's god that's you know whatever you come up with um or you begin to find that you can't find it Hmm. so the buddhist approach is in not finding there's a lot of power that's why it it goes in through that form as emptiness kind of realm in not finding something that's a legitimate experience is not finding something you expected to be there finding is not finding well if you can't find the thing uh that 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 can be a very productive thing to do is to not find something. Hmm. We normally think I got to find this. I got to find subtle Pete. I got to define it. I got to get words for it. I got to form a club around it. I got to, um, you know, build rituals to recognize it. But, but if you really look directly at it, it's, it's usually the case over the centuries that it's hard to, it's hard. It gets more and more ephemeral and elusive uh, and dissolves. It's funny. The traditions that I study more often would say ineffable or, you know, words mm-hmm. fail it. And it's, it's, it's a, it's an experience that you can't describe, but you're saying <laughs> it because it's not really, it's, would you say it's not there? It's funny. <laughs> this is that Buddhist thing where the razor is just a little bit sharper and it shaves just a little bit closer because there's a comfort in going like, it's yeah. so beautiful. I couldn't describe it, but that still implies that it was there. You're saying actually the zero of it the good healthy <laughs> right zero was its own answer is that right well yes and if you get to that point you can rest in that that's rest. part of that instruction just rest in the zero in not knowing in 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 the ineffableness yeah 
rather than resting in the description of it, you rest in the actual experience of it. And so that's, and here's the irony. They say there's bliss there, but the couple is bliss and emptiness are coupled together, bliss and emptiness. Now, emptiness means you can't, as you said, in ineffable, you can't really define it. You can't really cling to it. You can't really bottle it. You can't really get back to it. You can't really cultivate it. All those mm-hmm. things would fail. So if in in dissolving that completely, you know, literally, Pete, you, you know this, but there's practices that people do to this day in caves and mountains called rainbow body, where they go into a cave, a yogi goes into a cave, and practices and the whole body dissolves and only the hair and the nails are left in the, on the floor of the cave after two weeks. I've heard stories of that. I've, rainbow? I've never heard it called rainbow body. Rainbow body. Because it, everything, the material, the gross matter dissolves, basically. They now, dissolve themselves? <laughs> it's essentially into light. And through meditation, I suppose? Through very specific set of practices. Now, that's like people shouldn't get too crazy about it. It's very advanced practice. And it counterindicates a bodhisattva intention of like, I, I'm going to keep working with the gross material. I'm going to work with other people. I'm going to help. I'm going to clean the toilets. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to be a good a good uh, servant for others. So, But that's interesting. Yeah, go ahead. So, But the, ass- the essence of our being, that's what I'm saying is, if you look for that something solid, that is our being either at a physical, emotional, or even... Uh, mental level it's very hard to find it's interesting i have two thoughts about that one what you're saying if you dissolve in the in a cave you're not helping say me or you you know we you're not be having this conversation that's for sure right exactly but there's also part of me that goes it's all one it's all uh, a dream is a is a nice way to put it or leela it's a dance it's a play so would you talk a little bit about like there is no such thing as private salvation or private enlightenment? It's like there's only one mind, and if that because no, mind... there is such, there is such a thing. What do you mean? As private, private. Yeah. you think so? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm again, I'm sort of chronically Buddhist in my perspective, but it's called the Hinayana, the narrow vehicle. Buddhist. Yeah, I mean, the narrow vehicle is yeah, you individual salvation. It's called Sosotarpa in Tibetan, individual liberation. And you are free from the wheel. You're not being reborn in those six realms of like, you know, pleasure seeking or fear. Interesting. Or but isn't there part of you that thinks that that was just written so that your one mind, the, the one mind that you and I share that we're aspects of is just kind of booby trapping itself to trip. And when you, David, wake up, you will go, oh, that was just a that was just a way that David could understand that he made Buddha. He made uh, your guru. He made all these teachers and they seem to have private enlightenment to show me that I could do it. But in the end, it was just me. It was your dream. It was one dream. In the Buddha's Sangha, mm. there were people called Arhats and they were people who had achieved this and they went to sit in a different section of the, they went to the, to the loge, you know. Oh, VIP loge. Yeah, the VIP loge. But <laughs> then there were the bodhisattvas, which was another another level of accomplishment because those were people who had taken on a bigger vision about what's possible. And then there's the Buddhas who probably are closer to what you're talking about. My best estimate would be a Buddha is not no longer vetting these distinctions. There's no right. need. The compassion is the same as the emptiness. The emptiness is the same as the form. The oneness is the same as the multiplicity. Yeah. And and there's spontaneous existence, which is kind of 
not calibrated the way we, well, we do every day. Talk about this. <laughs> talk about this. Because well, you and I are presupposing time and, and oh, David right. will wake up here and the Buddha woke up then and Jesus woke mm -hmm. up here or whatever it is. But when I was telling you about time, yeah. either eternity is true or time is true. And it seems to me that eternity is true. Uh, and talk about the, the idea that it's all happening at once and it's all already happened and the relief of that. Well, so in any system that has evolved over time for working with people, there's a gradual sort of sense of training, right? And then there's a kind of quicker sense of training. And then there's, you could say, more advanced kind of training. Depends on the student, technically. So in terms of Buddhism, the kind of uh, more fruitional type of teachings point very directly towards the sudden quality of enlightenment. Like Zen, for example, they just pop, you know? Yeah. And there's no instruction. There's no, hey, work with compassion, man. Work with your dark shadow. It's just pep, you know. And 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 you, you hear stories. That someone blows out a candle after reading the Diamond Sutra, and, and that's when they become enlightened. Yeah, little. I love yeah. those stories. And the fact is, if you blow out a candle, if you set the right situation up with any human being, and blew out a candle in the right way, they would have a glimpse of some kind of unfabricated uh, experience. That they had not into, or have lightning. That's a good one. Have lightning? Yeah, just a lightning flash. Oh, okay. A literal, a real one. People, you know, Pete. The joke is this: is the joke since you're a comedian. You know, the guy who who um, has one line in the play. Mm -mm. You know it. I don't know the joke. He has, you know, his his line is they blow off a cannon, you know, in the in the play, and he's supposed to say, "Hark, I hear the cannons roar." That's his one line. So of course he's practicing at home with his wife and his kids, and he, you know, he's walking around the house. Hark! I hear the can. Look, should I say it this way? Should I say it that way? And they every rehearsal, of course, they don't fire off the real cannon at the rehearsal. And so um, at the rehearsal, he goes, "Hark! I hear the cannons roar." And then even at the dress rehearsal, they don't want to waste waste the ammunition, so they, they get to the dress rehearsal. Now it's the actual opening night. And of course, they blow off the real cannon. He goes, "What the fuck was that?" <laughs> <laughs> this whole time, I thought it was as a comedian. I'm trying to think of where it might go. That it's going to be yeah. like cannons. I hear the hark roar or something no. like that. So much better. What the fuck well, is that? It, it's 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 related to what we're talking about. If you create a sudden shift in the situation, our continuous narrative will get broken interrupted which is kind of zen style or sudden style you know you you they say moo right there's another one you know um it's a zen uh knock knock joke knock knock who's there interrupting cow interrupting cow moo! <laughs> how is that zen that's my daughter's because, favorite joke because the zen people say moo did you know that <laughs> what do you mean it's like it cuts through discursive thought. It's emptiness. Right. Move. It's sudden, suddenly awake. In, in our tradition, we call it suddenly free from fixed mind. So you, you, everybody can have a moment of like, uh, in which there's no ineffable, there's no quality to it at all, other than itself. Mm. And but it lasts for just a very short period of time, right? 
This episode is brought to us by our friends at Ritual Multivitamins. They also make my favorite prebiotic, postbiotic, and probiotic all in one. They're Symbiotic Plus. It's a huge part of my gut health regimen. It's also the only multivitamin that I've ever taken and seen real difference. What does that mean? It means I take it in the morning and I'm ready to face my day. It doesn't get peed out. Everybody that I talk to about multivitamins says the same thing. It doesn't get absorbed. You just pee it out. It turns your pee into like predator blood, like neon colors. This one doesn't do that because it waits until it's in your lower intestine to break down so it can be absorbed and into your body. I was always having vitamin deficiencies when I went to the doctor. Ritual has taken a huge crack at that and made a big, big difference in my life. So you can talk about fantasy football with your friends all day, but asking them for health advice isn't really the move. Ritual takes the guesswork out of the vitamin game. Their multivitamin for men is based on science to help fill common nutrient gaps in the diet and level up your nutrient goals. It is an all-around win. It's scientifically developed with high-quality key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. It's it's your new type of two-a-days for helping support heart health with omega-3 DHA to normal muscle function and normal immune function with vitamin D3. This small step can have a major impact that is certainly true for me. It is traceable. It is vegan-friendly, non-GMO, sugar-free, gluten-free, major allergen-free, doesn't break a fast, doesn't upset your stomach if you're fasting, which is huge for me. Capsules delayed release, as I mentioned, and even has a minty essence in every bottle to keep things fresh and help make taking your multis every day actually enjoyable. And as I said, I blend it with their Symbiotic Plus for my gut health. It's like a second brain. You got to keep that microbiome all healthy and running smooth and get those, fill those gaps. It's huge. Support your body. Support this show. I take it every single day. You guys should get into it as well. Essential for Men is a quality multivitamin from a company you can actually trust. And get this, Ritual is offering my listeners 30% off, 30% off your first month. Visit ritual.com slash weird to start Ritual or add Essential for Men to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash weird. All right, everybody, let's get back to David Nickturn. Well, it's interesting. This is bringing me back to last night. Val and I, again, I'm in my 40s, Val's in her 30s, but we're like realizing the importance of disruption. Val's mm. always planning trips and mm. she knows, she'll listen to this. This isn't shit talk at meaning. I'm the grump that's just a little bit less likely on my week off to be like, let's get on a plane and go to the Ozarks. You know what I mean? Like it's just <laughs> not, it's not what I would do. But right. I am smart enough to know that I'm wrong. I'll give my, and I'm and i I'm smart enough to trust Val. And then we go, or a better example is we went on a camping trip with our our, our daughter's uh, preschool class. And you know, you sleep on the ground and the rational mind says, what are we doing sleeping on the ground? This is so stupid. But then you <laughs> are happier, you're lighter. Mm-hmm. And then, and this isn't why you do it, but then the next time you sleep on your bed or take a shower, you're like, this is glorious. All mm-hmm. of these things, came through doing something that didn't make any sense. So mm. I, and and when I do stand up, it forces me into my body. It forces me into the moment and it's this grand disruption. I don't know how it's going to go, especially doing mm-hmm. new jokes feels very moo to me and that can snap me into it. Is it. Are we saying the same thing? Yeah. So you, through your craft, then you're putting yourself in a situation where you can be suddenly free from fixed mind. Right. As part right. of the experience of, of uh, you know, being creative and being you know and keeping keeping it fresh, and that's what a painter is doing, and that's what a basketball player is doing, that's what a rock climber is doing. But that it's so 
I, and and absolutely mm-hmm. and uh, specifically the kind of music you do that's improvisational and and flowing but it's funny looking for things that the listeners can get it's so easy to say but it's it's hard to do like take a different route home like walk the other direction eat something you haven't eaten watch something you haven't seen even if you don't want to you have to there's this like stone mole inside of the animal inside of all of us that just wants it's meals and it's TV and it's bed and it wants to, you know, orgasm occasionally and it wants to be warm <laughs> and it's such a snooze, but like, it's so seductive, you know, it's calling, it's calling us towards the rocks and we crash and we die, you know, sorry to force this, but like I do cold exposure. I get in 39 uh-huh. degree water every morning. And, and one of the things, one of the mantras that carries me through is I go, this is life. I say, Lachaim, this is life. This wow. is the opposite of being in a nursing home. I'm coursing with fucking fuck yeah, you know what I mean? It, and it's and it's warrior energy. You were talking about that earlier. Mm-hmm. It's a disruption. And I know uh, I don't want to sound like an old man, but that is what in my 40s I figured out that everything you want is on the other side of something you don't want. And and mm-hmm. and you should want what you don't want. You should want mm-hmm. what you don't want is is absolutely a key. Wow. Well, yes, and that is folding this naturally occurring event into the realm of intentionality is what you're really talking about there. You mean it's happening anyway? Yes. Yeah. And that is even creepier. (laughs) Tell me. Sorry. Keep going. You go. You go. You go. You go. Well, just that we, what we take to be the floor of our experience is a fake floor. It, it, it's it's just by nature, there's access to discontinuity. What we're really talking about is you would call discontinuity. We're used to making things like, okay, I'm going from here to there, here to there, and there's no gap, right? You know, you hear people talking about a gap. But the fact is the natural mind has gaps in it. And another way of saying that to like bright young people, our mind is actually digital. It's not analog, hmm. which is interesting. In other words, there's about 128 frames a second of mental activity, according to Buddhist Abhidharma. And so each one is, you're actually switching, uh, like film, you know, appears to be continuous, yeah. but there are actually, if you could catch it, there are gaps between each moment of, of, of apprehension. So we we don't tune into the gap equality of it. Hmm. Um, like, for example, the next time you walk into another room, notice that you might just have appeared in that second room and you don't remember how you got there. And you know, as a lucid dreamer, that that's one of the ways you can tell if you're dreaming lucidly or not. This is a weird synchronicity, man. Because I was just thinking that I had coffee with my buddy two days ago, and I was like, "How did I get here?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, I parked over there." And I went, "That's how I know I'm not dreaming." I just did this because that's the key (laughs) to learn to do it in your dreams. You do it in your waking life. You go, "How did I get to this?" Oh yeah, Val went off to go upstairs, and I sent you the Zoom link, and you know, I have to. That's how I know I'm not dreaming. Yeah. In a, in a sleep dream. But yes, that's what you meant. Yeah, that there the gap quality is um part of the activity of the mind. And in meditation, you're just allowing your awareness to experience that without trying to fill it. Now, normally the gap is kind of um uncomfortable from ego's point of view. So you're trying to fill it, like, oh, I think I'll flatter this person, I'll insult that person, or I'll uh, mm-hmm. I'll I'll take this uncomfortable feeling I have and tie it to a childhood memory. You're you're creating continuity of all kind. 
But the oh. fact is, it's frame, frame, frame. Because you're because you're embarrassed and scared, and it, it's too wobbly. Go. Yeah. No. Because yeah, uh, that there's some hesitation, but the fact is, it's there anyhow. Which is sort of, um, of course, we we like oh, to now be. Now I'm it, understanding it, what you're saying. It, it is. It's it's natural. It's seamless. It's seemingly seamless interruptions woven together and built in the same way that our minds take the frame rate of television. That's and right. we know if we slow it down, it's it's not what's happening, but our brain fills in all the gaps and it exists in our minds in the same way reality is all of these fragments woven together in our minds in the same way that our eyes flip the image upside down so we're not disoriented. The brain's job, which makes no sense, it's one of the things science doesn't understand why our world should be upside down the way that the iris works, but it, it doesn't. It, the brain corrects it, which is wild. And the brain is also stringing these frames together but the Buddhist, if I'm hearing you correctly, is trying to get a little bit more honest about the frames and find the comfort and the mystery and the bliss in the gaps. Am I forcing well, that? Well, and the gaps are are um, uh, natural. And the only job you have, it's interesting because I, as, as somebody who teaches meditation quite frequently, most people from where I sit are working too hard at it. Mm. To, to to map it to their will, you know, to make it do something that they want, as opposed to a sense of just adventure and exploration and just let's see what's happening. So the only job in this kind of practice is to notice um, the gap. That's it. Notice nothing, the gap. Nothing to do. Yeah. And then that's the vertical. Now, if you, it, it loosens it up, and if you re-enter the horizontal, you realize that on a more relative level, we got way too serious about something and what somebody said, or, you know, it's, we made it too solid, too thick and it's gapless. Mm. So, you know, the gap is, is a, a natural event, but it's also a way of tuning into uh, openness and spaciousness within the, the actual continuity that we're experiencing. Mm. You, know, you could just be uh, clueless for a second when you're having a fight with somebody. No, normally we don't want to allow for any confusion. Yeah. Or not finding it, not finding the next argument or the way to win or the way to posture. You kind of want to have a conscious Mitch McConnell moment. With awareness. Yeah, with a, that's what I mean. Not yeah. a not a blankness, but a knowing, a knowing pause. A, a vastness, a vastness with awareness. Yes. In. A spacious thing. Yeah. And, and it's just you go, ah, you know, just I mean, it's in us. It's part yeah. of us. We've gotten very yeah. driven. Muji, who I love, talks about, he's like, don't try to open your heart or close your heart. He's like, the heart, what we're talking about when you say heart is an emotional state. He goes, the real heart is always open. And he goes, it's like space. And he mm. said this, it, it really moved me. He goes, this space that we're in with the, the room that we're in with the table and the chair and you got your walls and David and all that stuff. He goes, this space a million years ago was exactly the same. And he goes, fresh. And he goes, mm. and in a million years, it'll be the same fresh it's always fresh and he goes you are that like stop thinking you're an uptight person and, and now and now you're a, a gracious person i'm very guilty of that i listened to my thing i did my practice and now i'm generous and he's like mm. that's not you the real you is like the space in this room is always fresh i loved the word fresh i was i yeah, fresh. Like trump <laughs> yeah fresh start 
But then you come to the Kunza part in, in that way of looking at it, the rel- relational part. And you, it seems healthy and smart to also work on that level. Mm. Gradual, you know, just sort of um, because it's very hard to pull that much vastness and spaciousness down into um, the relational world without giving the so the relation the relative truth is also considered truth. It's not like the absolute truth trumps the relative truth. Mm. The relative truth has its own wisdom and its own sense of journey. and it reflects the uh, they uh, reflect each other. They reflect each other. That's what you told yeah. me that calmed me down. I was yeah. like. Uh, I love my daughter and she's fleeting and I'm fleeting. It's all fleeting. What are we doing? Let's just get to God already. This It's almost like my remnants of fundamentalism. I'm like, we should mm-hmm. just strike the set, burn it down. It's over. This is over. And you were like, yeah. And also your daughter's just hold like her little hand is just holding my thumb right now. And you're just like, it's sort of wild. But one of the pitfalls of spirituality is you can have those little existential panics. I have them, mm. to be honest. I have a good little panic. I, I, they don't even scare me anymore. I'm mm. just sort of like, oh, it's here. I'm going like, what is this? And I don't yeah. like, I don't like asking, what is this? Mm. What are you thinking? Well, you know, I, I think to some extent, this is very much the transmission from human being to human being. And I, be, I believe in that. So I, I'm a lineage kind of person. You know, I, I, I I'm, not thinking, well, the past was crap and we should just dis- disband it. So my teacher, Trungpa Rinpoche, as you know, said uh, some very seminal things. I just wrote down know? Guru. I was like, I yeah. got to ask him about Trungpa. Yeah. So it's, um, uh, he said to me at a certain moment in time when I was having a kind of stressful uh, domestic situation, he said, don't panic when things are going bad. And don't relax when they're going well. <laughs> so I took that as what we call a pith instruction. I've repeated it many times to many friends and students. And it's a way to gauge, okay, you're in that situation. No matter what's happening, you think you're losing your grip, whatever, don't panic. And then on the other hand, when you think I got this now, don't don't uh don't you know don't relax. Don't stabilize try to stabilize that. Don't atrophy, so, yeah. Yeah. So um, you know, we these are called pith instructions, you know, pith, you know, like essential instructions. And, you know, Ramdas had had one that I u- use, right, which is, uh, which came from Maharaji, which was um, love everybody and tell the truth. Hmm. They sometimes have that quality of like, you could easily, I could easily love everybody, man. It's beautiful. Except, you know what? And, and Ramdas had the perfect student koan relationship. The truth is, Maharaji, I don't love everybody. Right, right. Ooh. And the truth is that I would rather things went smoothly and I'd rather relax and not have to face the fear of when things are not going well and, and, and freak out. So they're progressive. Your in, ability to integrate a pith instruction is progressive. It's very hard to just, and then right. you've got it. Which is so. interesting because that Ramdas story sort of ends with him realizing, I, I could be wrong. Boy, it would be fun to be able to talk to him again. But uh-huh. I'm sure he I'm sure he said it somewhere. I'm not just saying that as an optimist. He recorded himself talking a lot. He was recorded a lot. But he sort of solved the love everybody and tell the truth thing. I think by leaning into the paradox of it, kind of letting it break his brain like a koan. 
and going, but then also when he intellectualized it a little bit, he was like, well, I don't like David, you know, I don't like a lot of people like a, a lot. Of, I, I get overwhelmed a lot often by people who are like me. If I meet someone who's like me, I get overwhelmed and I'm like, wow, get this fucker away from me. Like real weird. What a gift. Um, what a gift. How's that? What could be easier than just, you know, uh, you're seeing something so clearly there. This person's like me and therefore they're annoying me. I mean, that's yeah. like a, a short, that's a short ride on a short bus. <laughs> a short ride on the short bus. I, but when I go, I don't like these people, but I know that's when I try and I don't always succeed. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. It's kind of like the Muji fresh space thing. I try to go like, my father is challenging to me, but I know he's just in a costume. He's just, he's, mm. he's, he's the same thing as me and he's wearing a disguise and I'm the same thing as him and I'm wearing a disguise. It's, it's helpful to me to remember that Pete is a character in the dream as well. Pete is no more real than my dad. It's all sort of nonsense. So hold it a little bit more lightly and when I think Ramdas would say, you know, you don't have to like everybody, but when you love who they really are, that's how you can love them and tell the truth, go, this guy's annoying to me. So I heard a whole different thread when you really? started talking about that. Yeah. Huh. Here's what I heard. You, you, you know, this is just like, um, I heard my father and I are actually quite different. Yeah. I'm not like my father. And yet there's this pressure. Uh, somewhat coming from him for me to be like him because that means he's succeeded in in crafting his own survival and legacy. Yeah. And this is uh, pressurizing for me personally. So I have to differentiate myself from my father, even though there is, you know, there's a lot of things drawing us together. There's something pushing us apart and that creates a certain kind of tension in me about paving my own road. I don't know where that came from. Oh, no, that's, that's right on. <laughs> That's absolutely true. The The painful thing I say about my dad sometimes is I go, he loves John Mulaney. I love John Mulaney. Everybody loves John Mulaney. But what does my dad love about John Mulaney? My dad has never seen John Mulaney tell a joke. Never seen him tell a joke. He likes his haircut and he likes that he wears a suit. So I find that hurtful that I... Well, that, sounds like, that sounds like Pee Wee Herman. Then. Yeah. What do you mean? He could... The haircut and the suit? Are you kidding me? He could love that for sure. But Pee-wee's too silly. Bow tie, get out of here. No, but the, the haircut and the suit is what I was referring to. Of course. No, I get it. Yeah. But but yeah. my dad doesn't like Pee-wee. He likes someone who looks like a Kennedy. And the 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 thing that I find challenging about that is, you know, my dad would rather I look like I'm together. Let's talk about John when he was struggling. John is sober now. He would right. rather I look together and look like yeah. a, a killer politician and have a secret uh, addiction problem then be what I am, which is kind of look like however I look, not not sharp, not slick, and uh, be embarrassing him with my, you know, whatever, my disclosures or whatever it might be. Does that make sense? Like he'd rather... Well, yeah, look, and that means that I you, you and your right. dad are very different. Yeah. You're not like that at all. No, I'm the opposite of that. Opposite or different, very different. Yeah, yeah, In yeah, other yeah. words, you, you <laughs> don't like care that. how people look. You're You're a feeling kind of person and you're looking into their heart and their experience. And so, um, yeah, it's a funny thing because the differentiation might 
um, be part of what we're all working with too is our individuality rather than having to move that to the all one thing. You know what I mean? You move it to the all one thing. Oh, well, it's just, we're all one. And and therefore my dad and I are really the same. And, you know, well, yeah, how this is now the rubber is meeting the road. How then do I love my dad? If, if my dad is bothering me and challenging me, how can I love him or anybody and tell the truth? What did you take from that koan? Just the paradox of it, or is there a way to do it? Uh, because I got pulled into the particular experience that we're having. Love him because he's different. Yeah. I, is that possible? I'll tell you what happened. I, I, don't, I don't do a lot of weed, but when I'm with my folks, I had just visited them when I saw you. I was about to go yeah. see them. And it was a challenging visit. It, it, was, it, was, it was hard for me. And sometimes after the visit, I would take this little microdose of, of marijuana, like 2.5 milligrams, which anybody that does marijuana, that does marijuana, is laughing at how small that is. It really is a very tiny dose. But when I would take it, uh, sometimes I, I would be lying in bed uh, with Val or falling asleep, and I would start laughing. And she'd say, what are you laughing at? And I go, they're perfect. I didn't mean I liked them. Right. I go, oh my God, huh. they're perfect. Mm. You couldn't, I couldn't script them in a million years, what they yeah. would say, what they would do. They are one of a kind. They mm. are unbelievable. They broke the mold. Like, I'm not just saying that. This is not yeah. from a good son place. This is just honest sure. journalism. They right. broke the mold. I've never met a person like them before or since. And they are unpredictable and absolutely you know, if you were looking under a microscope at amoebas, you'd be drawn to them and go, what the fuck is this one doing? So yeah. And in mm. that slightly assisted place, or you could right. say, I don't know if you want to say it's bringing me up or bringing me down, but it was turning my brain off enough that I could get to a place where I was loving them almost like I wasn't myself, like a depersonalized experience. Well, almost like they weren't your parents. Yes, that too. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's the hardest one. Let's face it. That's the home run of liberation. Your parents? I think so. I mean, For that's sure. a very big, deep. Uh, and it's what's, it's interesting that in like in the monastic traditions, like in Tibet, they weren't raised that closely with their family. Those, those, those Rinpoche's, mm. you know, they were t- like Trungpa Rinpoche was taken away when he was two years old. And wow. now the, the monastery, his teachers are really more like his parents. Wow. His mother's there. They have the mother thing. And from that, they got a lot of compassion. But I never heard him talk about his dad. Yeah. Can you imagine Don't, if you're two, two, and they took you to comedy tulku school, and you know, yeah, uh, and I you can't, never saw actually. your dad. I the joke I was going to make, but out of respect, I, I didn't want to. Was I was like, no wonder he drank, which is which is a joke. But it, there's also got to be people sometimes called Trungpa Rinpoche the drunken Buddha. I'm sure you've heard that before. That yeah, he, I mean, he, he drank, drank a magnum of sake a day, a and, magnum, which is huge. If you don't know it, what a magnum it, it, is. It's it enormous. Him. It took it killed him. He, he, his body couldn't handle it. At, at, and I did 49. He smoked cigarettes and he drank a, a very, very large amount of sake without, you know, I haven't drank in over six years, but when I did, I loved sake more than anything. So I'm like, good choice. <laughs> it's fantastic. And he smoked cigarettes, but don't you think, or do you think, that that's related. You don't know your parents. You're you're ripped into the world of Rinpoche ship. 
don't you think there's a psychological level that's going to be like, well, I have a dad shaped hole and I'm going to fill it with, with booze without watering him down at all. Personally, that wouldn't be the way I would sum up what I, my personal experience of that situation is. Um, It was, and because I lived through it and, knew him very well and kind of experienced it firsthand. There was something unusual about him that I can't really, you know, subject to kind of putting it into a kind of characterizable box or something like that. Right. Right. Because he, he was, um, uh, from my limited perspective, had a, a much wider access to a lot of, uh, looking at the world that was beyond what I would consider like a sort of, standard ego fixation kind of perspective you but mean i the, never the aunt, oh sorry I, I never tried to copy him and that's i think uh, if i want to give a message to people out there who are looking for gurus most people aren't these days they just need a good spiritual friend a mentor a guru is another category and it's very um much built on earlier stages of practice and development that if those aren't there, there's, there's not going to be much role for a guru. So people are like diving into these relationships with gurus. Uh, I wish them good luck, but, um, the guru is, is somebody who is going to take you on a very direct path towards recognizing, um, uh, that your notion of self is, is, uh, it has, uh, a false bottom to it. Mm. So they're they're not exactly the nurturing Yoda like person that you might wish that you had on that kind of journey. It's it's a dismantling, and um, so the idea of looking for security with a guru is in my in my tradition is a mistake. You mean it's funny when you said Yoda, I immediately picture him hitting Luke with that little stick. So he had like a sort of yeah, but slight... he never threw you know. Here's the here's the tell me tell me de- what you meant yeah tell me the classic definition of of a, a Vajrayana type of guru is they take you up in a plane they teach you how to fly the plane they jump out of the plane taking the only parachute and say good luck hmm. this is very non theistic it's not I'm gonna save you I'm gonna nurture you I'm gonna protect you I'll be watching over you there's a sense of training somebody to take care of themselves properly. And if that becomes a sycophantic relationship, it's absolutely deadly. And, and this is just my, my estimation of the tradition. Hmm. If you're looking for that person to protect you, to save you, to um, they train you. It's like being trained. How did tell? I, I wrote down Guru because I wanted you. I don't think you ever have to tell a Trungpa Rinpoche story. How did he surprise you or shock you? When he not coddling you, when did he jump out of the plane? When were you like, what the fuck is this? Were there months where you were like, this sucks. I hate this. I'm, I'm depressed. I'm broken. Or, and then you had a big breakthrough. What happened? The flip side is that in order to create that level of, you know, you could say dynamic growth in a student, dynamic evolution, there is some kind of train uh, uh, faith that you have confidence in that person's achievement in that person's uh, uh, realization. So for example, you know, if you look at Maharaji, there were all kinds of things where he's pulling Ramdas in to recognize the fact that um, he should trust him more. 
at a certain level. So I did have that kind of uh, ultimate trust, but it was tested regularly. And I'm not a faith-based person, as you know. Mm-hmm. I'm not a bhakti person. I'm a I'm a, I'm like you got to show me this stuff. You know, I'll I'll, I'll um. Uh, our tradition uses critical intelligence as the sword, you know, and you're encouraged to use it. So um, there were times when I would describe it as stretching, stretching. And also uh, I could recognize that it was me that was being stretched. It was my sense of myself that was being stretched. It was my resistance that was being stretched. It was my need to defend myself that was being stretched. And because I had confidence in him, I could I could open up to it and learn quickly. And where did that come from? What did you, it's a hard question, but what did you observe in this person? It's silly, but these are the Western things. Was he calm? It's did good. He, yeah. I'm glad. I, I think people need to evaluate this much more seriously than it so far has happened in the West. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I watched him like a hawk. And I watched other great Tibetan masters who through his, uh, you know, the good fortune of being his student, we met a lot of the greatest Tibetan Buddhist masters of the 20th century and, uh, and, and saw them. I watched them. And I'm not just talking about on a stage, the sage on the stage. I'm talking you about you watch them tie their shoes. And, and then some. Yeah. And I never could find a trace of, uh, in, in, in Trump, I would say of defending himself of, of needing to, um, con anybody or stabilize how he was perceived by somebody. Uh, and and um, also, I never saw him do anything uncompassionate. And there is instances where I saw him do very small things that um, even towards insects and things like that, where there was an obvious care for sentient beings that was un, un, unflinchable. So I began to have, um, I had it intuitively right when I met him because I probably had previous karmas with him. You know, I, mm. I felt the, the connection may be similar to what you felt with Ramdas, and um, and then going through certain experiences together, I found him different than most of the people I know in that he wasn't defensive, and he was also really creative, really exploring situation. Ex- he was ex- leading edge, exploring the whole thing of what is it like to bring this into the West. So he didn't cling to the, you know, there's still Tibetans, it's all this. And so he, he manifested as a Western person. Mm. You know, he put, put on a suit, he got married, he had kids. Uh, he was not afraid to talk about business or sex or, um, you know, art, culture. So I, I, I guess I found um, that his view, as it was expressed, was both traditional and also very, very uh, cutting edge. And that really appealed to me. I like both. I didn't want to just pure cutting edge that person. He has roots that are very deep in the tradition. And then it's that you take that to a cutting edge place. So that's an interesting question. I don't talk about it much with people because I don't think they need a guru. And I don't want them to think I'm their guru. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So no way. I love this. I You did what I would do. What I loved about it was that you did what I would do. And I like that you're honest about it. It's like you were watching him like a hawk. And I, I do want to circle back and unpack it a little bit, the phenomenon that I've seen with some teachers, but not a lot. I mean, Ramdas is not one of those people that ever would have claimed to be a guru or claimed that he wasn't defending himself. He would tell mm-hmm. stories constantly where the foothold that people like yeah. me had to enter into the story was that he was defending his ego or his person yeah. or his 
his, you know, his rights, his psychological needs or whatever it might be. Sure. He's very human in that way. But when there are a couple that I've listened to lectures or whatever, and they get like a Q&A and it's like the most annoying question in the world. And they just don't seem, they think it's, they seem to think it's funny. Uh, it, does that stir up any memory? When when you say he's not defending himself, what do you mean? Not only not defending himself, but there was this, there, again, some of this was codified into, you know, sort of almost like slogans. He would say, your guess is as good as mine, for example, hmm. you know. Um, but he would say, don't defend yourself. And even maybe more importantly, don't defend the Dharma. Oh, this person's, you know, uh, this priest is not pure, but Christianity is pure. The do- the doctrine. Don't even defend the doctrine. So it, it, it it's that that doesn't mean you can't protect the health in this situation from obvious aggression and and kind of con- and people who are trying to create confusion and 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 hurt other people. That's a no no. Mm. But can you know if somebody is asking a, a legitimate honest question that shouldn't threaten anybody so like the way i teach is i say you can ask anything you want like you just did that mm-hmm. you just exactly did that if i'm sitting here going this is the open way this is the you know the clear path towards the crystal blah 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 and you ask me a question i go like can we talk about something else that's not so great right and that's what I pick up from you. I'm not gurifying you. I like an undefended, unsweaty, unclenched person. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I you do. you witness that in him. Like, yeah. I don't mean to harp on the drinking, but if somebody was like, hey, why do you drink so much? Would he roll with that? Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't, I mean, he, you never yeah. experienced a taboo, like, oh, that that's a that's a a, a tough subject. No, no, he he um, was pushing the envelope uh, from that point of view. I would say, including the drinking, had some element of pushing the envelope. Just being and, a, uh, like a rascal, like a no. Get let's. Well, I mean, this is something that's going to be very hard for people to calibrate, particularly, and I don't recommend this at all for people who are alcoholics in some way, mm. um, which I I don't happen to be. So like. And I also didn't imitate him in the sense of like, oh, I'm a student of his. Now I've got to drink anybody else under the table. Right. But um, there is in the tantric tradition, drinking is part of it. Yeah, you told me that's trying to go underwater real slow. You're trying to, and I don't think this is that different from how I would use psychedelics if I use them. It's not escapism because it's part of your sadhana that you're doing the psychedelic if you're doing drinking or psychedelic as a way of you know kind of pushing the envelope of your awareness you have to use a lot of discipline you have to have training so that's another thing about him like he he seemed to be able to navigate the space even when his body was intoxicated his mind seemed very very clear and lucid Hmm. it wasn't like hey fuck all you you know i mean it was like it it felt like (laughs) the same buddha mind you mean 8 p.m. Trungpa Rinpoche was the same as 8 a.m., so even if his body was acting differently? Yeah, the mind was very, very steady. Yeah, you're right. In, my, in my experience, his mind was like a diamond and, and very clear. And it, it was almost like, uh, you know, siddha. It's like a, a, an ability, a, a capacity oh, to a handle siddha, that. Uh, yeah, city. City? Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask I you. Mean, he was, he was considered ahead. a maha siddha by many people. 
And that's like a highly accomplished, realized being, Hmm. you know, and are there why miracle stories, the clarity of his teaching, like what's going on? I'm I'm just going to stick with the clarity of his teaching. And for people these days, just read the books and, and see if it speaks to you because we get at Dharma moon, we get a lot of young students. I mean, younger than you, like in their twenties who love Trungpa Rinpoche and they don't know him. I mean, even people twice as old as that have never met him. He's been dead for 35 years, just in case anybody didn't notice. You're talking about somebody who's been long, long gone physically. But I would say the the clarity of his perspective, if you read a book like Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism, it's so lucid and and it's such a daring perspective of not conning people further with, oh, there's this magical mystery tour you could go on, and I'm the the Pied Piper of it. it. It's like, you know, it's wrathful. It's saying, let's not, let's not be fools. Let's not be fools. And instead use your intelligence to, to see what is true and what is wishful thinking. So that, well, the guru thing can bring (laughs) up a lot of wishful thinking. Yeah. And what, what is uncovering the truth good for? Uh, well, the, the, the premise would be that in the absence of truth, we create fabrications that eventually unravel anyhow. And then we have a sort of cognitive dissonance and a lot of, uh, disarray and suffering. You're, 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 you're in a way you're saving yourself from suffering. You're eating, you're eating it now, <laughs> you know, instead of wrapping it up in birthday paper and wrapping paper and, and postponing it and un- unwrapping yeah. the turd later and, and being yeah. really devastated yeah yeah and and um i mean many people have said these kind of things that the truth is a powerful uh, elixir mm. um and that you know like there was a quote that just somebody posted the other day about him he said you know enlightenment is profound but so also is self-deception and the obstacles are mm. equally profound I see the spiritual path as a very dangerous path. I don't think a lot of people see it that way. You could become a total big ass con artist. Mm. You know, it, it has the potential. I've seen it happen for people. They just get bigger than their bridges. It's better to be a rock star, frankly. More honest, maybe too. Slightly. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean. It's dangerous. Because this is, this is Jesus in the desert, the, the, the devil saying, let's use this to get famous, basically. Like, oh, I see what you're figuring out. Yeah. Let let's let's sell it, basically. And that happened to Buddha too. It's called the Maras. Yeah. Daughters of Mara approached and said, Hey, this is, you know, you could be this, you could have that. And a lot um, of people stopped there. The guy, when I watched the Nexium documentary, mm. I don't know if you watched that. I was like, nobody moths are drawn to light. I'm not even putting down the moths. But I'm saying, like, I don't care what cult it was or how hurtful it was. These are people that listened to the Maras. These are people that listened to the temptation that goes, let's use this to get laid or to get rich or to get powerful or whatever. They they didn't have the self-death that would make them appropriate teachers. What do you say? And you know what the common thread is there? Because I study this stuff. I've been doing this 50 years, more than 50 years. I've watched the whole onset of uh, Eastern religion into the West, just mm-hmm. like a scribe or an archivist. I've watched everybody. I know most of the people. I've watched Zen people crap and burn. I've watched uh, people. I've watched Trungpa's Dharma heirs crap crap out and get into very difficult and inexplicable situations. 
I, I don't hold anybody as immune from this, but here's what it seems to me at a certain point, somebody no longer has. They don't listen to their teacher anymore because the teacher's gone or, they're, or they break away. They say, I'm not doing that anymore. And they don't have any peers. Mm. So Nexium guy, whatever his, his name is, he doesn't have a teacher and he has no peers. So nobody can tell him, hey, man, check it out. Just let's slow this boat down a little bit. Or yeah. um, it, I appreciate you sort of manifesting some kind of, you know, brilliance here. But uh, you, you're getting these women to tattoo themselves on their inner thigh. It's not cool, man. Right. Don't do it. Right. Not cool. It's not cool. And you can't say to them, well, I have passed all feedback. So right. at the point where somebody moves beyond feedback, they better be very realized. Right. Right. It becomes an ego trip and is very tantalizing. What's more tantalizing than going like, I can solve your problems. I and I have no problems. I mean, was and, and sounds to me like Trunk Trunk Rinpoche was able to get there and teach it without going nuts. I mean, is is that a good definition of a I I found him to be shockingly stable internally. The mental faculty was shocking from and you know, when I met him, he was only probably in his early 30s. I was in my early 20s. Hmm. He was a young man, but he had been trained from the age of two in a very strict tradition. So it's like somebody who learned the music very thoroughly. And I found him to be adventurous and kind of we were looking for that kind of adventure then we weren't looking for like a safe space we were looking for let's bust out here so it fit the gestalt of the time and then but inside that i found him to be like you know almost un uh uh unnervingly stable hmm. and clear hmm. he, he, you know and um i consider myself a pretty good and then here's the real kicker i could ask him anything i wanted to he never said don't ask. I asked him really tough stuff. I was what with come, him in tough, tough situations. What comes well, to I said, I, I said, you know, some of these, um, he uncovered a whole set of teachings called the Shambhala teachings, which I still think are a jewel and brilliant. I said, you know, is this good, man? Is this going to really take, are people going to be able to work with this? It feels like, you know, maybe it could turn into too much form and too little substance. And instead of being insulted, he just said, I really mean to do something well with this. Hmm. He just looked at like person to person at that point. It wasn't like, do what I say. So I, I encourage that with students. I say, you can ask anything. You can have, you, I'll listen to your point of view, your perspective. Um, hopefully we're mutually respectable, you know, respectful for each other. Hopefully you respect something about experience and the depth of experience, because I think people don't value that enough these days. So look, and I also say this is just my personal world. You don't don't come along if it's not interesting to you. Hmm. And there's so much of it that doesn't rely. I want to have this maybe be the final iteration. So much of the Buddhist teachings do not rely on the guru principle. That's Vajrayana only. And people should be clear about it. Hinayana is a preceptor, an elder. Fine. The Mahayana is a mentor or a kind of spiritual friend, life coach. And only if you're practicing Vajrayana style should you have a guru, and then you should have one. Hmm. So most people don't need that. They're not ready for that. They're not interested in that. And you should just say, here's how to meditate. Go do it for a, a month, and then we'll talk some more. Right. Follow your breath, and we'll talk in 30 days. <laughs> <laughs> what about your students who are following your path? Are they 
I don't want to say claiming, that sounds like I'm doubting them. Do they say Trungpa Rinpoche disembodied as their guru, or are there other living gurus that people are going for? Most of what happens under the banner of Dharma Moon is not uh, specifically, explicitly Vajrayana teaching. So we don't, we're not using that model. We're using the model of you can get somebody who actually knows how to practice and has some understanding of how the mind works. You can work with them in a traditional way. Or if you want a little bit of life coaching mixed in that, a one-to-one kind of thing, we train people up to a certain extent to do that. And if you do want to go study these kind of other other implied aspects of the, of the practice, um, you know, there's there's access points. But I don't want Dharma Moon to become a, a you know, a lineage vehicle in that very strict way. It's yeah. very explicit. Let me ask you, uh, this has been wonderful. I do think we can bring it in for a landing because every time I talk to you, it's it's thick. I know, and we go for it. We, we roll. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. Meaning we don't have to push to two hours. My brain is already like, maybe you should just think about that gap thing again. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. And I don't have to be your guru to mention it. You see what I mean? Yeah, no, exactly. Well, before I get to the last question, I did want to say about the gap thing. I, I remember in martial arts, somebody was saying a good teacher teaches you to notice that there are gaps in the frame rate of reality and that's when you're supposed to move and that's when you're that that's how you can seem to like teleport or move beside them or trip them and all this stuff so it was interesting i I know martial arts and 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 spiritual philosophy has always been in bed together but he was saying my teacher could wait for five people to be mitch mcconnell for 0.05 percent of a second and then move and seem to have jumped four feet to the left uh, it would, it just came to mind. It's just a fun thing. No, it's a very fun thing. And here's, here's the counterpoint. If you tune into this principle, I think you can notice uh, in your interaction with people that there are these little short gaps in their thing. Mm. And, and you, you could, you can actually see it. Yeah. You can see the cracks and, uh so it's not physically throwing them or anything like that, but you can engage into that spaciousness, even yeah. if it's not very wide. You know, yeah. the uncertainty, the, the gap is a, is a great place to allow for the conversation to expand, open up spontaneous, spontaneous. And, and, and it is the essence of comedy. Let's face it. Right. Yeah. No, you're looking for a way to be a gap. Of you want yeah, yeah. When people gap, they laugh. Yeah, you gap them. You gotta gap them. It's where you can put a crowbar in and kind of open it up a little bit more. But it's also where I'm sure we're going back to the abuse of it, like people that figure this out, but then use it to manipulate or to coerce or yeah, it's death. Here's the question I have for you. And I'm, I'm also kind of prefacing it by saying, this is what I would want to ask Trungpa Rinpoche. If I sat with him, I will ask you um, the same thing, which is, is there anything to worry about? Is there anything to worry about? So here's, we can go full circle. I would say absolutely the answer is no. On the, on the Dundam level, there's nothing to worry about. Yeah. Um, relatively definitely. <laughs> yes. You know, and it's a healthy response to a moving game, you know. Um, you, you know, so I think... to. To understand both of those concurrently is called the inseparability of the two truths is very profound. And that's where I don't see too much of it. It's, it's, it I think every road leads to the inseparability of the two truths. That's, that's what I would say if you 
follow any path, you'll get to that point at a certain point. Um, so yeah, you, you should worry about hurting people. You should worry about um, deceiving yourself. You should worry about getting older and you should take good care of yourself. You should worry about the, the health and well-being of your friends and people that even that you don't like. Um, you should worry about your community. You should worry about your society. You should worry about history. You should worry about, you know, the world that your kids are going to grow up into. And then at the same time, what can you do ultimately? Yeah. And at its core, everything is okay, I suppose. I, I know I'm I'm not trying to make this a Super Soul Sunday moment. I'm just saying, yeah. like, I my experience is in the quiet of the zero, in the past no one's watching and no one's there to watch it's a giggle that goes what were you even worrying about i, I would the say same it time. Yeah, I, that's lean you're leaning a little towards the absolute truth there leaning yeah. a little bit leaning, leaning. i would say take the spice of the absolute truth and sprinkle it into the relative truth mm. i like that like salt you know in other words it's not wiping it out it's not covering over a piece of meat with sauce and you can't even taste the meat anymore you should have a good taste of the relative truth. It's part of it's part of it's where wisdom comes from. Mm. The relative truth has a lot to do with real wisdom. But you you have some sense of that it's not fixed, it's not permanent, mm. uh, it's not independently existing. It doesn't exist on 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 its own. It's all interactive, mm. and uh, it doesn't really have the kind of substance that we attribute to it. Even the most precious thing in it will shift and change in form. So. Take the absolute truth and see if you can have some time in your life where you can relax that way at a very vast level and then sprinkle that into your day. Don't use it as a blanket, but use it as a spice. Mm, I love that. I needed to hear that. That's that's a lesson I need all the time. Salt. Yeah, Joe, our editor, is going to say, this guy was washed in white light. <laughs> he's, our, he's our video guy. <laughs> David, thank you so much. Do a little plug for Dharma Muni in case people got the bug, uh, the Buddhist bug, and they want to learn some of these practices that you've been talking about. Go a little bit deeper and explore that that quiet um, for not just the relative truth, but the absolute truth, but not just the absolute truth, the, the relative truth. Yeah. So. Thank you for that. And, you know, the, I, I would say probably the most, uh, I think we'll be airing this sometime in September. And we have, there's a couple of things. We have uh, our, our sort of central program is called a Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program, a mm. 100-hour program. And your wife, Val, took it, which is so cool, you know, mm -hmm. that we have that connection. And um, it's a five-weekend program, lasts over four months, and it's a really good training. It offers an initial weekend that you can just take and see if you like it. So that maybe we could put all that into the uh, the text company with, the, with yeah. the links. Yeah, and um, that starts October thirteenth. Before that, we have an info session for that with our friend, your friend of mine, Duncan Trussell, is going to join me for an info session on that's free. That's on um, September twenty sixth. So if you go to dharmamoon.com, you will see all these things. D h a r m a. Dharma. Yeah, D-H-A-R-M-A, which then uh, moon, should, the usual way. You com. should buy D-A-R-M-A moon.com as well. <laughs> That's like redirect it. the new book I was going to, Wisdom for Dummies. Yeah. Yeah, but spell it W-I-S-D-U-M. Um, <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, so yeah, so go to dharmamoon.com. 
and maybe there'll be a couple links in there. And uh, I, I just want to say that um, we're not trying to, we're just trying to give people some basic training in meditation where you actually kind of get to know what you're doing. Hmm. It's, 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 it's I, I don't mean to say that other ones are not about that, but there's a clarity in a traditional sense of developing mindfulness meditation as the foundation, which is a very simple practice, a very straightforward practice. And it's just learning how to be um, present with what arises in a non-judgmental way, mm -hmm. uh, opens up a lot of space. And it's for people who might want to learn that and stabilize it, but also offer it to, to other people. So we're training right. people how to teach. So that, that's what that is. Hopefully we can put the link in there and everybody will see it. And um, Pete, wow, man. Yeah. I want to give a little, I want to give a little plug. I saw your act in New York at the city winery. <laughs> I was knocked out by it, man. Oh, uh, thank you. You know, uh, because I've been, you know, we've been sort of, you know, episodically connecting at a pretty powerful level over a number of years now. And I, I, I thought like, if you're out there, people, um, I mean, this is Pete talking and Pete philosophizing. There's some of that in, in the act, but there's also a kind of energy now that I, I didn't really tap into as much where you're taking people on a ride energetically mm, no. and, and, and we, we really enjoyed it. So I don't, I'm I hope so glad. Well, the yeah. special, this will be out, this episode's out in September and the special will be out in October on Netflix. So it's coming around the band. Yeah. Here in this, in this truth, uh, we're editing it tomorrow, <laughs> but yeah. in the reality that this airs, it's almost out. <laughs> so right, I'm glad. Right. Well, so what, people, what, uh, what's the name of it? It's called, I am not for everyone. Huh. There you go. Well, I, I pity the fool that you're not for. I know. But if you remember, it's a line in the act. Uh, I, know, I am not but... for everyone. Um, I also, you're, you're a marketing guy. I, you have that wonderful book, Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck. So in the marketing of it, it's not to coerce people. I feel like my fans will watch it. But people who don't know who I am, it's itchy. Like, why is this guy saying I'm not for everyone? As opposed to like <clears throat> sunshine <clears throat> potato chip sure. time who fucking yep. cares a guy that says this isn't for everybody it makes you go like it's the pepsi challenge it, it, which yeah. one's coke like it's 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 individualized are you for me am i for you it makes it more yeah. engaged. yeah they do it, it the market like they'll, they'll have somebody in a in a bar who's on the marketing team and they're just supposed to talk to the person next to them and say oh i'm into this thing you know it's just for the person next to you yeah that's right and and what's up well very cool and you know while you're mentioning that, I think you and I are both on the same track, which has brought us sort of strongly together of being creative people. Everybody knows I'm a musician and a composer and I, you know, produce Krishna Das records and play guitar for all kinds of people and et cetera. But I've always wanted to weave those three things together, creativity, spirituality, and making a buck. So if you don't come to any of our trainings or classes or anything like that, uh, check out the book, check out the book. Yeah, and um, it, I think it's in sync with the kind of conversations we have. Are always weaving their way through those topics. And you've always, well, you. I'm happy to say I know you know I love you, and you know I don't have to. It's not news to you, which is wonderful because people should know. Uh, in fact, I had an English teacher that said you should say you love me, like like tell people you love me, like that's better <laughs> than saying I love you. It's going like I can tell you love me, and I can tell you love me, but like I've. I've turned to you all, always in the spiritual thing going like, what is this? Uh, you know, we're having these conversations and last night I was screaming about diarrhea and, and like, it's wonderful to just go like, it's all holding hands and it's all together. And that's so refreshing from, 
you know, the type of spirituality I was raised in was all about being polite and nice and decent and wear a suit and have a haircut. And I'm like, fuck that shit. <laughs> mm. Wow. I do want to say Mulaney is one of my absolute favorites. And also Mulaney is not a clean comic. So what my dad thinks John Mulaney is, John Mulaney is not. And I have nothing but love for John. I think everybody knows that. I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, we're, I'm not going for the um, the polite thing. Yeah. it's um, There's something prismatic in the whole thing, Pete. That's really like, if you can see the whole picture of your dad, John Mulaney, you, me, mm. Leela, Val. Mm. Ramdas, there's some world in which that's all a big giant prism of interactivity, and it is beautiful. I agree. I agree. Stunning, actually. Before you said it, I was like, that is so funny. You just gave me like an outside of myself perspective, hearing all those names and thinking my play in that. I'm like, this really is pretty funny. All Mm. of it. (laughs) And pretty beautiful. Mm. But thank you for reminding us. We never. Are we ready to start the po- recording the podcast now? We never. We never had a beginning. I welcomed you. I said welcome. <laughs> we just started talking. Yeah. Sorry, buddy. It's yeah. all going live. Like the old Jewish guy who just wandered onto the set. You know. That's it. That's all we needed, and you were ready to go. Well, if you remember, we end the show with you saying, "Keep it crispy." If you, this is your second time on, so you, you, this is your second keep it crispy. Would you say keep it crispy, and then we'll be done here. I would say keep on keeping it crispy, everybody. <laughs> keep on keeping it crispy. Assuming they already have been keeping it crispy. I like that. I'm assuming they have had some introduction. Now you're in Just the middle keep- of the middle of the marathon. You're getting a little tired. Keep on keeping it crispy. Yeah, you're in maintenance. Keep it crispy. Thank you, David. 